Freedom Junkie Radio is so happy to have you here today. And our guest today is someone who literally has changed the world, changed my world and goes out and changes the world. Our guest is Jim Kennard of the Food for Everyone Foundation. And Jim has been on a mission in the latter part of his life to get the information that you can grow truly grow your own food enough to feed your family um, all over the world. Jim has traveled all over the world and given uh, classes and seminars. In fact, that's how I met him. And I've been gardening my whole life and uh, I was not getting the amount of food that made it worth my while until I met Jim and the method that he teaches, which is the Mitt Lighter Gardening Method. Welcome, Jim. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Betsy, for having me. You know, I'm going to want to give a little bit of a, um, of a synopsis of the Mitt Lighter Gardening Method. It took you a whole day to teach us everything, and, and that couldn't even cover it all. But before we get there, <laughs> I want to ask you... Um, uh, this is the thing I want to know the most. You've been all over the world into third world countries, and you don't teach a man, you don't give a man a fish, you teach a man to fish. You don't give a man food, you teach the man to grow his food. What is the most memorable place or um, moving time you've had and experiencing with people where you taught them to feed their community? Oh, wow. <laughs> There have been so many. Um, probably the first one that was really impactful uh, in, a, in a huge way was Russia. Uh, Dr. Jacob Mitleider took me with him to Zayoksky, Russia, back in the early 90s. And he had been there since 1989 teaching. And uh, we watched as the people under communism learned again how to grow their own food and got the, the courage to throw off the shackles of communism. And I was kind of, uh, I was a student obviously, but I, I had a, a catbird seat to watch that happen. And I communicated with many, many people over there, some of whom were teaching as many as 50 thousand people through the newspapers that they created, weekly newspapers, to, to grow food. And it's my belief that Dr. Mittleiter's uh, teachings uh, and this gardening system allowed the people to have the confidence once again to throw off communism in August of 1991. Uh, and, and I was there. Uh, so, uh, that that was probably the first one that was a an absolute mind blower for me. Uh, most recently, probably the the Philippines, uh, they suffered uh, mightily with some cyclones, and a man whom I became acquainted with had a great affection for and affinity for the people of the Philippines, and so he asked me to go over there and teach some of the Filipino people, how to grow food. He was developing a project there that they wanted to feed the school children. A particular island called Leyte was uh, one of the poorest of, of all of the islands. And uh, the, the children were suffering from uh, lack of proper nutrition. And so I went over there for two and a half months. And the ultimate, I guess, of course, the ultimate maybe is not here yet, but uh, just since then, they have built that garden that I taught them how to grow and created with them, built the one garden into three gardens, more than three gardens, actually three islands, but 54 acres of gardens, and they are now feeding thousands of people. 
At first it was for the school children, but when the, when the pandemic came, they had to close the schools. And so the, uh, the trucks of this foundation called uh, Rise and Rebuild Foundation, uh, they go all over the islands taking food to those who are most heavily impacted and lost their jobs and don't have food. And they're feeding thousands of people every day tons of food every day out of the Mitlider Gardens in the Philippines. Oh, that just must feel so good. You know, I envy that you're one of these people who has been able to, for your love of humanity, and you've been able to do something with it. There's a lot of people out there who love people and want to do um, something and make an impact in the world. And you get to see your impact in the world. It's truly remarkable. Um, so, you know, though, it's not it's not something that only someone like me can do. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard the story about the, the men trying to move a piano and there were a whole bunch of men. And, and finally, one of them kind of took charge and said, everyone stand around the piano and we will lift where we stand. And so these I think it was six or eight men managed to move this piano. Well, you and I just need to lift where we stand. And that means that a, a homeowner, uh, someone living in an apartment, virtually anyone can make a difference in the world if they are willing to do it and if they will just lift where they stand. That means that we all have different roles and those roles can change over time, of course. When people learn how to grow food, they discover that it doesn't take much space. Even a 50th of an acre can feed a family. And, and that's, you know, somebody can do that practically in an apartment uh, on a flat roof or patio. So it's not just for people like me who, who happen to have been placed in a situation where we can impact a, a lot of people. It's for everyone who cares about others and uh, learns true principles and is willing to share. Okay. So the, the giant boulders that you throw into the pond that make these ripples <laughs> that go out, I, I probably told 100 people about the lighter gardening method and how it's so simple but seems so revolutionary. I, I, my first gardens were in North Carolina. Well, I grew up in Texas gardening, you know, putting little radish seeds in the ground and they would grow and it was awesome and I loved it. Um, and it was Houston where it rains a lot. Then I had my first gardens in North Carolina where you don't have to really do anything but weed. You put seeds in the ground, it rains, it's sunny, they grow, you have way too much food. In central Texas, I met my match. I couldn't grow anything by the time it got hot and everything died. And your teaching me the Mitlider method allowed me to truly produce food, even in the most difficult of climates. The, the, um, seminar that I went to with you was called Growing Food in Difficult Climates. I was like, I'm in. And um, on your websites and stuff, which I'm going to tell everybody about, because there's so much information on the growfood.com, and um, we'll talk about that later. Um, you talk about how you can grow food in almost any climate. You just have to know, you have to water, you have to fertilize, and you have to have nutrients. That's basically it. And then there's the vertical gardening part, and we can go into that. But if I'm assuming that our listeners are going to be either gardeners already and wanting to know what this Mitlider business is all about, or maybe some people who've never gardened and who are very interested in starting, what are the basic differences? What makes Mitlider gardening different from even standard, Excuse traditional, me. like organic gardening that people are doing? And they get their head of lettuce now and then, they get a few tomatoes, maybe even a few to share. But what's the, what are the big differences? Well, first of all, uh, there's no guesswork. Dr. Mitleider was for 20 years a nursery grower and he sold his plants uh, almost all over the country. He was in California near Los Angeles and he was shipping plants as far away as Louisiana uh, because he was so good and people wanted his plants. And so he really learned his lessons well and the last 40 years of his life he basically spent teaching others and helping others uh, developed a, a, a marvelous uh, growing system that really is a recipe and you just follow the recipe so organic uh, back to Eden uh, square foot any of these other gardening methods really uh, there's a lot a lot of guesswork 
the Midlighter Gardening book called the Midlighter Gardening Course is a recipe. And you follow that recipe and you are virtually guaranteed great success, no matter where you live. Uh, from Alaska, which we have growers in Alaska, uh, all the way down to Chile and everywhere in between, the islands of the sea, as they say in the scriptures and uh, the mountaintops, you name it, you can grow. Okay, well, you know what I learned, which I was, I, so my grandfather had been a uh, farmer in East Texas and he loved to garden and that's probably where I got it from. And he would go out to his gardens on a regular basis and, and weed and pick, you know, zucchinis and eggplants and I'd go out there as a little girl. And he, as a farmer from East Texas, stood by water deep or not at all. And that was one of the big things that changed for me that day when I think I probably raised my hand and said, well, this is what I've been taught. And of course, I'm open minded person. If I get better information, I will embrace it. And you looked at me and you said, is there plenty of water where you are? Do you have a water source? And I said, yes. And you said, then you don't need to worry about not having enough water. He was coming from a farmer with a drought, a potential drought. I mean, he was back in the 1930s and 40s in, in East Texas, and they wanted the roots to go deep just in case there wasn't enough water. But with your method, you water every day, every morning, and it's a, um, you put it on a timer, so you don't even have to go out there and do it. You put, put the little, um, watering system in, have it on a timer at five o'clock in the morning and it comes on for whatever, half hour, 45 minutes. It's not that much water, but it, it gives your plants a drink every day. And plants are like people, they want a drink. And then you said, you have to fertilize every week. And I was like, I, what? I think in North Carolina, I think I probably fertilized twice a year. No wonder I wasn't getting like the massive amounts of food. And you said, um, how many of you are organic gardeners? And like 90% of the people raised their hands. And you said, so I want you to not have a problem with um, fertilizers, um, the, your, your big three, um, the nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, the bags of it. Because organic means it's carbon-based and comes from the earth and it's, there's no pesticides in there but that's what your plants need. And you know, it always made me think like when you, you said in Trinidad and Tobago, they have no soil and, and you don't even need soil. You need water, nutrients and sunlight. Like they do hydroponics, right? So in these poor areas where you cannot go to Home Depot and buy a bag of fertilizer, what do they use for fertilizer? Like if we ever end up in like, you know, the, the grid goes down and we are truly dependent on our gardens for our food and Home Depot's not open, where are we gonna get fertilizer? Okay. I wish I had been able to take notes as you were talking because there are about 10 things that you mentioned that I'd love to respond to and I can't remember even what they are. But uh, the last thing that you said in the question is, what do you use for fertilizer if you can't go to Home Depot? This system teaches the use of the 13 nutrients that plants need and must have. And our fertilizer provides those 13. And 12 of the 13 come from rocks. So they are as natural as it gets. I want to just jump in and say that there is a product that you sell. It's called Mitlighter Magic. And I think that's what you're referring to when you said our nutrients. It's the, 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 the trace minerals that aren't. That's right. right. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, okay, so where was I? But they come from rocks. 12 of them come from rocks. They are concentrated and you know exactly the percentages, so there's no guesswork, but the base comes from rocks. Now, nitrogen is one that the uh, organic enthusiasts like to bash, uh, because they say that it uh, is artificial or synthetic or whatever. 
But let's just talk about that for a minute. This is really important for people to understand. Where does most of the nitrogen come from in this world? It comes from lightning. When it rains, the uh, lightning changes the nitrogen in the air from, uh, C, uh, from N to NO2. And it comes down with the rain and it feeds our plants. Millions of tons of nitrogen get to this earth from lightning. Now, there's a process that man created, developed, that mimics lightning. It's called the Haber-Bosch method. Two German scientists 100 years ago discovered how to create nitrogen the same way lightning does. And today, I think most of the nitrogen that is available to the world, and by the way, we got seven and a half billion people on the world, and without this nitrogen source, there would probably only be a billion of us. Six out of seven would never get born because we wouldn't have the food to feed our people. And it's because of this nitrogen that is created by the Haber-Bosch method, mimics lightning. I recommend everyone in the United States of America and around the world, really, get these nutrients when you can, while you can, for whatever you have to pay. Because I have discovered two or three times over the course of the last 40 years that the prices of things can go crazy. And they are proceeding to do that right now. And so I recommend that you get the micronutrients, which are available on our website at growfood.com, and then go out to the stores and get some NPK. 16, 16, 16 is what we recommend, but you can use 13, 13, 13, or anything up to 20, 20, 20, and mix them according to the instructions that are on the bag that we provide with the micronutrients. You can stack five years supply of food for your plants in a corner of your garage, in a basement, in a, a shed. It doesn't lose its, its uh, potency. Uh, it doesn't stink, doesn't smell. It'll last forever until you need to use it. And that is the thing that I try and teach the world is get those while you can. And by the way, I have been to Madagascar, to Africa, to the Middle East, to uh, Colombia, South America, to the Philippines, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We're always able to get these. And so it's not like you have a Home Depot next door, but when people learn where to source them, they can get them. Now, here is the, the kicker. If the situation gets to the point where you cannot find nutrients, pray that there are still a few animals alive pooping so that you can get some compost. Okay. And, and here's what you do. If you cannot get the Midlighter Magic, the 13 nutrients that guarantee a great garden, you go and get some compost, even if it has to be uh, from your own excrement or, or whatever. You know, that's, that's the ultimate. That's, that's depression where nothing else is available. You get that, you put that in a bag, like uh, well, we use... Uh, Come on, what's the bag, the old bag that they put grain in? Burlap. Burlap, thank you. <laughs> put it in a burlap bag, about two-thirds full. Stick that in a 55-gallon drum. Fill it with water. Let it sit for 24 hours. Pour that water on your plants. My granddad called it manure tea. Exactly. Manure tea. Yep. And you, you can't plant as close together as you do normally with the Midlighter method, because there's not as much nutrition in it. But then you, you use that first uh, barrel, you put the bag back in, you fill it up with water again, let it go 
two days this time, water it again, throw the compost away and start over again. So when I was talking and you had all these ideas, I had talked about uh, watering every day. Did you want to touch on that? Yes, yes, that's great. When people water and water deep and then don't water for a few days, that is often and most of the time it's out of necessity. In the West, for example, uh, Utah and uh, Wyoming, places like that, they have created canals and they bring water from a river or some distance away and they bring the water through canals to the people and they get irrigation turns and those irrigation turns are typically once a week or once every eight days or something well when they get the water they flood their land and it'll usually sit on the land for 12 hours or something what happens with the plants of course they're struggling for air during the time they're being flooded and assuming they live through that then of course the roots of the plants follow the water table as that water recedes and goes deeper and deeper and so much if not most of the energy of that plant as it grows goes into creating deep long strong roots well we don't want to have our plant give its energy to creating roots unless it happens to be carrots, but uh, we want the growth to be up here where the sunlight is and where the fruit and the leaves and those things that are edible can grow and, and maximize the yield. And so that's why we recommend that we water once a day. Now, you said half an hour. I had a half acre garden, 125 30 foot long beds at Utah's Hogle Zoo in Salt Lake City for about 20 years. And I watered every day, and it took me over half an hour to water. But that was 125 beds. I'm watering each bed for 30 seconds to a minute. And I can't give you a time for what it will be for you, because your water pressure will be different. Your volumes are going to be different. Uh, your soil texture will be different. If it's clay, it holds it, and it doesn't seep through quickly, and so you don't water as much. But in any case, you water until you have standing water in the bed if you're in dirt. Okay. If you're using sawdust and sand, as we also teach, then you water until you see water starting to seep out from the bottom of your box. And that's when you stop watering. And in your own garden, it's only going to be a few days and you'll figure out, okay, it took me 15 seconds or it took me a minute or whatever. Then is when you determine your time. You don't ever say, you know, listen to David or somebody else saying, oh, I do it for 25 seconds. And then you do it for 25 seconds. You find your plants dying. Duh. Okay. <laughs> your volume is not the same as mine. So you do it until you've got standing water in the dirt or you have water seeping out the bottom in your box, and then you quit. I had my mint lighter garden for three years at my old house, and then we moved out to a place where we have rainwater, which is very common out here in the hill country. And I was just afraid to use my rainwater for a garden. So I started just buying my vegetables like most people. And I've missed just getting my hands in the dirt. I've missed having eating the, the vegetables that I grow myself. I've missed having my children out there with me. It is time. And you said that this, the timeliness of getting this interview out to people is so important because we're starting the growing season. And so if someone hears this and they get excited and they think, I am gonna go do this, I'm gonna go start a garden, what, is, what should they do? What steps should they follow to start a garden and get it, get it working here in a week or so? To start a garden, first thing you want to do is find a spot that is reasonably level that gets six to eight hours of direct sunlight every day. That's critical. You want to follow the laws of plant growth. First law of plant growth is sunlight, light. The second law is temperature. So you want to make sure that you have some measure of control over the temperature, either by waiting to plant or maybe covering your plants with plastic if you're wanting to start your, your plants earlier than your last frost date. The third, uh, light temperature air, gotta have air circulation. Uh, the fourth is 
water. <laughs> Got to have water every day. Your plants need water all the time. You see, a plant is up to 90% water. And if it doesn't have water at the roots, it's going to start to wilt. And when it's wilting, it's dying. And so you want to make sure you have a water source nearby. The fifth, of course, is nutrition. And that comes to the feeding issues. But so if somebody wants to start a garden, find a place of sunlight, that's got some water nearby, doesn't have shade, then you want to stake out the area. Decide how much you're going to need, how much you're going to plant. We like an 18 inch wide by 30 foot long maximum per bed. And anything from three feet long to 30 feet long is great. But this 18 inch width is, is good because it really gives you about a 12 inch planting area after you've got built up ridges to hold the water. And then you can get two rows of most plants and you're maximizing the yield in that given space. We also want to have three and a half foot aisles if possible. That way you have ample room to walk. And as those plants get big, they can come out into the aisles and still get the sunlight that they need. So somebody's starting a garden, pick the spot. Then you want to get rid of everything that's there. And a lot of people will just take a weedy area, excuse me, and they will till or dig the weeds into the ground. What they're doing <clears throat> when they do that is they're putting a million weed seeds into their garden area. And the weeds will come up faster than the, the vegetables and you end up with a massive weed problem. So I recommend that you remove anything that's growing in that garden area. Even if you can like burn it, that will get rid of a lot of the weed seeds and minimize that problem. But in any case, clear the ground completely. And if there are perennial weeds there, dig them up and remove them, including the rhizomes and runners. That's those long roots that are segmented. Because if you were to till those, you break those one root into 10 pieces, and suddenly you've got 10 weeds where you had one. So make sure that you eliminate the weeds as much as possible from the beginning. Then you use string and stakes and you create the beds. And this Midlighter Gardening course book talks about that. You want your beds to be level in the bed itself. You don't care if your aisles are level necessarily, but the, the bed area, the planting area needs to be level because you want to preserve your water. You want to use as little water as possible because most places do not have an overabundance of water. If they do, then you still do it the same way, but you just maybe are using rain instead of your, your hose or whatever. So just to give you an example, in Colombia, we were there for four months. For the first two months, it rained virtually every day. And it would rain anywhere from one to two and a half or three inches per day. Did we need to water? <laughs> no, no. We had to make sure that we weren't flooded out. Because you see that that third law of plant growth that says air, the plant roots must have air. If they can't have air, if, they're, if the roots are submerged in water, that plant will die. And so you don't want to flood the garden and leave that water there for any length of time. So nobody needs to buy anything. You can go to the website growfood.com and look at the learn section. Go into the learn section and there's a link there where you can download the first seven chapters or what we call lessons of the MetLighter Gardening course book. This is the section that teaches you how to grow in the soil. If you happen to want to have boxes, it's uh, most of the things are the same, except you're using sawdust and sand and, and a two by eight piece of wood to, to, to make the frame for the box. But go there and, and read those seven 
lessons. And that will teach you how to make a level bed, how to build ridges around the growing area so that your plants can have the water that they need and the water doesn't get away from you. But uh, I mean, when we were in Colombia, one or two or three inches of, of rain a day, we still had level beds, raised, ridged. All we did was open the ends of the bed, the water ran out, and we never lost a plant to too much water. So whether you're in a desert or whether you're in a, a, you know, a place where it rains like crazy every day, like it does over in Hawaii, a place called Princeville. Anyway, Princeville in Hawaii, they get like 350 inches of rain a year. They don't have to water. <laughs> you know, I remember you saying that there's really no need for pesticides anyway, and you're obviously you're speaking the language of, of organic gardeners then, that pesticides are really unnecessary because if they've got the micronutrients, that mitlighter magic, if they're getting the nutrients they need, they pretty much don't succumb to the pests and the blights and the stuff that ends up, you, you, you get a better garden if you're, if you're, it's just like people, if we're healthy, if we're getting the nutrients we need, we don't really get sick very much. Is that Am I on to something? Yes, it is true that healthy plants, just like healthy people, have a much greater resistance to pests and diseases than do underfed plants or underwatered plants. And so, yes, uh, we, we don't use pesticides much at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the book, it talks about preventing bugs and diseases. And the best single prevention that you can do is to maintain a weed-free garden. I talked about that a few minutes ago, how, how important it is to avoid weeds. Once you've got that, uh, that garden planted, you make sure that you're after the weeds immediately with something I see right behind you called a two-way hoe. Oh, here, let me put this, let me, let me put it on there. Okay, now they can see, there's my hoe. You see, if you will take those weeds and hoe them out immediately when they come up out of the ground, they will never get to be a big problem for you. And the biggest problem with bugs and diseases is weeds, because weeds give them a place to live, a place to proliferate, a protection against us and their other natural predators. So uh, keep a weed-free garden, and that greatly minimizes the need for pesticides or uh, herbicides. Now, uh, on rare occasions, I have used some of those. I prefer those that are the least harmful, the shortest half-life, that kind of thing. But uh, I wouldn't say to somebody, don't use pesticides if there is an invasion in your garden because you want to save that garden. But the cultural practices that are part of the Mitlighter gardening system really greatly minimize the need for uh, any of those kinds of interventions in your garden. Okay, and since we brought up the hoe, and so what's your favorite quote by Mitlider about the master and the weeds? Well, oh, no, no, the master and the, the vegetables or the garden, whatever. Okay, well, you know, the one thing that he said is that the plants must see the master every day. And what that means is that if you're not out there inspecting your garden, then the, uh, the aphids or whatever it is can come and have reproductive cycles going like crazy and become a big problem without you ever knowing about it. But if you're out there every day and inspecting your plants and you're looking at the leaves of your zucchini and you see something under there, you rub those eggs off, you see. That's the time to catch them is when they are just starting. You see some, some white butterflies flying around your cabbages? For goodness sake, get yourself a net and catch those things and get rid of them. And if there are any eggs on your cabbage, rub them off. Those are the kinds of what we call cultural practices that make it unnecessary to use the harsher chemicals. 
Okay, since we brought up this hoe, I want to say that I didn't know about this. This is one of the things. So Mitt Leiter was like the Einstein of gardening. He was truly a genius, <laughs> right? And um, yes. he, dreamed up, he would wake up in the middle of the night and think of something that would make a lot of sense in gardening. In the, and he was like the Eddie Van Halen of gardening. I mean, he um, dreamed up this thing. And if you're listening, you can't see this. So you can go on, uh, on Jim's website and you can see one. It's a hoe end that's unusual. It's, it looks like a big square. I can't describe it. It's like a letter D maybe. Yeah, like a letter D and it's um, yeah, kind of like a big, it's like a thick razor blade that goes all the way around in a letter D shape. And you run it through your garden every day and it weeds it for you. You don't have to get down on your hands and knees and pull up weeds or use one of the, I used to use one of those things that had three prongs and you'd, and it would just, it, it, it still wouldn't pull up the weeds. This, well, it, it digs up the roots of your plants too. Right, this just, it's amazing. And you run it around your plants where your plants are and you don't have any weeds. And you, yeah. I've heard you say to get the weeds out when they're babies, when they're tiny, then you don't have a problem. People would come to me when I was at the zoo garden. They would hang over the wall from the zoo <clears throat> and say, I've never seen a garden with no weeds. How do you do that? And I'd say, E and O weeding. Oh, where do I get it? How do I do that? That's great. And then I would respond early and often. And okay. That's the secret. That's the key. Okay. And so what is this? What is this hoe called again? Well, it's a two-way hoe. It's called a stirrup hoe, a hula hoe. It goes by several names, but the one that we usually sell is the best far and away on the on the planet uh, because it's so strong, sturdy. Uh, I don't know how long you've had yours, but I'm, I'm using one that's probably 30 years old uh, and has never been sharpened, never had anything done to it, still works great. I want to talk to you about <laughs> what, um, at some point in your life, when you recognized that no one needed to go hungry, you created the Food for Everyone Foundation. I, I, tell me if I'm wrong. I think you truly believe that there's no reason anyone on the planet should go hungry. Well, everyone on the planet is a child of God. God loves us all the same. It doesn't matter if we're living in Africa or in Asia or in Russia or the United States or South America. doesn't matter. He loves everyone. And he does not want anyone to suffer, to starve. Uh, and he created a world, an earth, that is adequate to feeding everyone. So there is really no good reason for people to starve. Knowledge, work, uh, those things are necessary. So, yeah, uh, what was your original question again? I may have forgotten. <laughs> I'm wondering what, what, what made you start this Food for Everyone Foundation and, and dedicate your life to going around teaching these gardening methods? <laughs> well, I was so blessed to have Jacob Mitleiter come and, and move about a mile away from me. <clears throat> and we were not rich at all. And, and I had five daughters and we needed a garden. And I had been gardening ever since I was 11 or 12 years old. And so I immediately discovered what he was doing, proceeded to test it out. And I discovered that my eight-year-old daughter, who helped me create the Midlighter Garden, was able to run that garden pretty much by herself. Uh, I was gone an awful lot, uh, had business out of state, and, and so I was coming and going, and she was running the garden, and she and her mom would harvest, uh, and so it's so simple and so reliable that a child can do it, and, and the garden that we created that year and grew that year was better than anything I had done, and I, was, I had probably been gardening at least 20 years by that time. And so I was totally sold. Well, then, of course, with him living close by, 
and I've managed to get a three quarter acre parcel of land close to me that was right next to the, the Hogel Zoo in Salt Lake City. I decided, let's really do this and do it right. Uh, and then when I got it big and got his help and started learning about what he had done and the changes that he had made in places like Russia, where he took me to, to help him, I just felt like it's got to it's got to be spread. It's got to be uh, carried around the world. And so I created the Food for Everyone Foundation specifically to try and promote his work and expand it to the point where uh, everyone could could have access to it. And of course, God has given us the internet and and all of the digital means by which we're able to communicate now, so that people all over the world can get this if they just have a computer or access to a computer. And so that's that's why we did it and that's what we're trying to do. It's a, it's a charitable organization. I haven't have been paid, I pay pretty dearly for doing it, but uh, I'm blessed. I mean, I'm so blessed. I wouldn't have it any other way. So people can uh, go to, it's, you've got Grow Food. Tell us your websites. Well, growfood.com is the website where we've got a lot of uh, information and knowledge. Uh, we've got a learn section. We've got a gallery that shows pictures of lots of things. Uh, we've got a, uh, an FAQ section, uh, a blog or whatever you call it, podcast section. So there's a ton of information on the website of growfood.com. We also have a gardening group on Facebook called Mitlighter gardening group. And all of these are free, of course, and you can go there and, and learn a tremendous amount. Uh, I do recommend the book, the Midlighter Gardening course book, and the micronutrients, because those two things teach you and then give you the, the tools to, to feed your plants properly. And so. if someone wanted to donate to your charitable foundation, they could, right? Yes, there's a donate button on the growfood.com website. Yeah, you bet. And we appreciate donations. Nobody's paid, so it it, it all goes to promoting the, the method and spreading the word. So I have a, a, a very specific question, and it's my old Mitlider garden. This is going off the topic of this. Um, I got nut grass in my garden because we use horse manure we used horse manure. You you did not say to use horse manure. And we went and dug up somebody's manure and put it in our garden. And uh, you're just laughing your head off. I'm going to put us there. Oh, and it, it destroyed the garden. There was no way to get it out. We pulled it out a million times. We did everything that you, if a garden gets nut grass or what's called nut sedge in it, do you just have to start over somewhere else? When Jacob Midlighter first started, he had nutgrass in his garden and the state shut him down. He was trying to do a nursery and, and sell flowers. And of course the, the state people come around and, and check and test and they found nutgrass in his garden and they shut him right down. He found a way to kill that nutgrass. It's called, uh, oh boy. My 82-year-old brain is working uh, again. I'll think of it here in a minute. But anyway, it, it's a very powerful substance. And, and you have to have a, a pesticide applicator's license to even use it. I, I don't recommend it. Uh, I have had instances of nutgrass, but you have to go in and basically sift your soil to get all of those nuts out. So if you're willing, and here you go, if, if you've got a bed that's only 18 inches wide with a three and a half foot aisle, you can get it out of the bed itself fairly easily, again, relatively speaking. But you do have to sift and get all of those nuts out because they will proliferate and come right back. Okay, unless you're willing to... Unless they you're have, willing to poison it. Yeah, they have light feathery seeds too. So the when the at some point, yeah, the seeds had gotten into our 
our grass and then they blow back into the garden. Yeah. I mean, there was no, yeah. Okay, well, that's good to know that there is a, a, something we can do. And if we don't think of the name of it, we when you do, I'll just put it in the show notes. At the end. <laughs> okay. So I just am so thrilled to get your information and out there to the world and particularly now because you know the thing that changed about my prepping here in Texas is that I have got to because we had we were I mean we were shut down for a week the whole you know we just had that big horrible storm that the power was off and everything and we were well prepped but what I realized was if it had been longer than a week I wouldn't have had any fresh vegetables so um now is a really good time to uh to consider having a garden and and having better preparations. I know that that's a par part of why you do what you do too. I wanted you to touch a little bit on that you do talk about because there's a prepping aspect, there's a preparedness aspect to gardening and looking after yourself. You touch on animal husbandry and having rabbits, chickens, goats, uh, cows. Most people can't do that, but why don't you just touch on that and why it is that that becomes important too? Well, most people like meat. The, the healthiest food is vegetables and fruits. And uh, our bodies are structured as herbivores. And so if we can wean ourselves from meat, we are generally healthier. Secondly, meat takes 20 to 30 times the space, effort, cost, etc. time to produce a pound of protein from meat than it does from a vegetable source. So those are arguments against animal, animal husbandry and eating animals. Uh, then, of course, the whole thing about cruelty and baloney and baloney, because, I mean, you know, if, if you don't use your animals, there's no sense to have them. And I believe that they, they enjoy life. They have souls and spirits. And, and so I think it's good to have animals. And, and I, I like a cow, but it's not efficient. For 95, 98% of the people in the world, animals are not a good viable source of ongoing food just because you don't have the space. You have to have acres. As a matter of fact, the BYU Benson Institute for many years has taught how a family can be self-sustaining on only a hectare of ground. A hectare is two and a half acres. How many people have two and a half acres? And of course, they talk about you've got to use the animal manures, you've got to raise rabbits and chickens and goats and, and so forth and small animals. I say a family can be self-sufficient on one twentieth of an acre. And you can grow a ton and a half of food on a fiftieth of an acre if you do it right, if you really follow our protocols. So... I have, I mean, I grew up raising animals, chickens, goats, rabbits, cows, pigs, virtually everything, uh, one time or another, and my garden was fed by manure. It's the only thing we knew, only thing we had. This was prehistoric times, of course. But uh, I, as a matter of fact, I had a goat 10 years ago. I love goat milk. It's healthy. And in the last three years, since we've had our baby girl, uh, we're really concerned about having enough milk so that when the mommy's milk uh, gives out, our baby can still have good, healthy milk. And so I bought a, 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 a miniature jersey with the idea of having A2 raw milk. But guess what? expensive my word and i can buy a gallon of raw a2 milk for six bucks that's a fraction of the cost and the time and the hassle of doing my own so for most people i don't recommend it for those of you who love it i mean rabbit meat is yummy uh 
and it's one of the least expensive to grow. So if you love it, you've got the space and uh, the inclination and your kids like animals and maybe 4-H, those kinds of things, by all means, go for it. And if you've got manure, plow it into your garden bed several months before you plant so that it has a chance to break down. Because if you put it in fresh, you may very well be burning your new plants. So don't uh, don't use fresh materials, but do use what you've got and what you need to get rid of. But don't count on it because you don't know if you've got zinc, boron, manganese, molybdenum, copper, iron. You don't know if your, your soil has those things in it, if your cow manure has those things in it. And we want to make sure that our plants are healthy because that's how we get our minerals, you see from our plants. And that's the best way for us to get them is in the organic form in the vegetables that we eat. Did I answer your question or did I stray too much? No, that was great. I just wanted to touch on that. And then, you know, I know um, the pH of soil definitely makes a difference. Some vegetables like it, they like different pHs. Um, I know where we live, the soil is pretty alkaline. And I remember you Which is high pH. Right. So what do you do to, to shift the, the pH of your soil to get it ready to go? You know, that has been such a big deal for so long. People spend a lot of money on soil tests to find out what their pH is. Jacob, he was in 75 different projects in 27 countries around the world. Can you imagine the troubles that he had? figuring out what's the pH? How am I gonna fix this? How am I gonna do that? And he would get soil samples everywhere he went and send them to the soil laboratory in, uh, in Southern California called the Matkin Labs. And they would send him back and tell him all what was going on and then he would be able to fix it. But over time, he discovered a couple of things that are very important and make this process very simple. If you have annual rainfall more than 20 inches a year, your soil is going to tend to be acidic. And the more rainfall you have, the more acidic, which means the lower pH. Got that? So 20 inches a year is about neutral. Below 20 inches annual rainfall is going to be alkaline, high pH. How do you fix it? What do you do? Simple. Plants need calcium. We want to give them calcium. And so if you have high pH or, I mean, if you have high rainfall or low pH, you feed your plants lime. Lime raises soil pH. That's our pre-plant mix. We do that every time we plant and two or three times during the growing season we will add calcium in the form of lime if your ph is low in the form of gypsum if your ph is high gypsum is does not raise ph and so if you've got alkaline soil simply add gypsum to your fertilizer mix. Now, if your pH is really high and you need to actually lower your pH, you might need to add a little sulfur. Sulfur lowers pH. But most people never have to worry about adding separate sulfur, and here's why. The 13 nutrients that I talked about, almost every one of them has sulfur as a component of the, of the fertilizer. Zinc sulfate, iron sulfate, magnesium sulfate, oh, copper sulfate, et cetera, et cetera. This is a natural thing that, that sulfur binds with, combines with these other elements to make a stable compound. And sulfur, of course, is an essential nutrient, so it's not going to hurt you, but it also lowers pH. And so between using gypsum and then using the, the lighter fertilizers almost always solves an alkaline or high pH situation. If 
you continue to have a, an alkalinity problem, a high pH problem, then you just apply some more sulfur. And sulfur can be purchased by itself. And you apply a few ounces of that in your growing bed, that will lower the pH. Oh, awesome, that's great. Took a while to answer that simple question. <laughs> I wanna know what your favorite seed sources are. Where would you recommend people get their seeds? Oh my, you know, we're so blessed here in the United States to have lots of different good seed companies. Uh, my favorite is the Mountain Valley Seed Company in Salt Lake City. They have joined with another company actually purchased and, and combined uh, called True Leaf Market. And True Leaf Market was primarily into uh, uh, sprouts and microgreens. But now the two of them combined make a great marriage. And so one of the things that, uh, that I wanted to mention that you referred to was uh, prepping. You know, the best garden and the quickest garden is going to be several weeks. Radishes, you can start eating the leaves in a couple of weeks or so and, and start harvesting in three or four weeks and, and so forth until other things start to come on. But what about today? What about tomorrow? What about next week if you don't have those things already? Or if it's winter and you cannot grow them? Grow sprouts and microgreens on your kitchen countertop. You don't even need a garden. You don't have to have any land. And you don't even have to have any fertilizer for the sprouts. It is good to feed your microgreens a couple of times. And one of these days, maybe we'll talk more about seedling production. We use the same fertilizers for producing seedlings, but we dissolve the weekly feed in water and then we water the plants with what we call constant feed. And so if you're growing um, microgreens on your kitchen counter, you have a, a gallon of, of fertilized water there and you just water those with a, a little can or something. And, uh, and you can live through the winter on fresh greens just by doing that. And, and this uh, Mountain Valley Seed Company, which is also known as true leaf market to me they're they're one of the best but there are several that are that are really good okay so is some of that information about growing microgreens and sprouts is that on your website as well probably not okay well, so it's, it's so simple i mean it's so simple but yeah yeah we okay, maybe need well, to have a, a couple of things on there about that I'm sure there's YouTube videos people can find. Uh, I guess we should be saying Rumble and BitChute now, um, that where people can find how to grow microgreens and sprouts at home. And it sounds to me like probably here in, I don't know, six or eight weeks, I'm probably going to contact you again and say, I'm ready to, to have you back on because this is going to be a big part of my life for the next few months is getting my mint right letter yeah, and we know about the vertical gardening and the, um, the indeterminate tomato plants. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a disciple. You know, I really learned so much from you and I'm, I'm just in awe of your ability to, and, and your desire to go out and, and help people create food, which is freedom in their lives. And I, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you to have come on this, this show. And uh, people can find uh, and keep, keep track of Freedom Junkie Radio by going onto the Telegram channel, which I highly recommend. Um, we're also on Facebook and YouTube, BitChute and Rumble for now. Um, Oh. For some reason, freedom of speech and freedom in general is a controversial thing. I don't get that at all. But uh, so that's what I'm, I'm out there doing what I can with my platform and getting people on like you, Jim, who are experts on what it is you do that helps people bring more freedom into their lives. And I can't tell you how grateful I am that you have joined me today. You know what? Uh, <clears throat> could I take 30 seconds to tell one more thing? You can tell all you want, Jim. You just 
Most people don't have a lot of time and uh, only want to maybe just grow a little garden. But sometimes there are people like you who want to make a difference and help other people and learn all they can. I've told you about the projects that I have done where I go out for three or four months and teach people. They, they spend all day, five and a half days a week for in the Philippines. It was it was four months. I'm sorry. In Colombia, it was four months. In the Philippines, I was only able to, to stay there for two and a half months. I came home and had operated on for cancer. But in any case, we have created something we call a Mitlighter Gardening Certification Training Boot Camp. And we invite people to our campus in the middle of the country. It's called Kidder, Missouri. And people come there and we put them up. It's actually a live-in, seven-day experience. And they come in and we really pour it to them. We try and condense much of this three-month experience into one week. We're well-prepared. We've got things already growing and, and a lot of things that we can just basically show instead of making them do it, you know, uh, grow it, that kind of thing. And uh, the boot camp can turn people into serious, really good gardeners. We've had people who have gone on missions uh, to Africa and places like that uh, after having gone through this and then working with their own garden for a bit. So this system, I told you earlier, an eight-year-old can create and grow a garden. It's that simple. There's a book called Six Steps to Successful Gardening. It's on the website. 50-something pages, uh, a child can read that and, and grow a garden from it. It's comprehensive enough that I teach college-level courses that go for three or four months. Everything in between. The boot camp is something I like to at least suggest people consider. Go on our website, look it up. There's a picture of a school that's... Um, the Foundations School in Kidder, Missouri, and uh, consider if you're really serious about growing and if you're really serious about helping others and making a real difference, come to the boot camp. You'll be amazed at what you can learn. Wow. That's, you know, I hope somebody listens to this and, and does that. I don't, I mean, I would love to. I'd love to become a master gardener. I think I think I probably know enough to show some neighbors when I put in my garden to invite people to come over and see and, and, and tell what I'm doing and, and turn Absolutely. them on to your website for just more information. Good, great. And so, for most people, that's, that's ample. That's great to, to do that. So is there, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? Have you got three months? <laughs> <laughs> I know there's so much. And um, you are just a blessing to this world, Jim. Oh, you're sweet. <laughs> you're, you're literally feeding people. I mean, you're not feeding people. You've taught people to feed themselves all over the world. And I know there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that are eating nutritious food because of you. Maybe millions. Who knows? Because you don't know where your influence stops. You don't know. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I am privileged to be here. I'm privileged to be alive and doing what little bit that I can, lifting where I stand. And I hope everyone else will do the same. I was just doing my post uh, discussion with Jim and I've turned the recording back on because you said we didn't cover, and I didn't get the first word, pruning. What were the other things? Well, plant care. In other words, the proper care of your growing plants. What do you do to, to keep them growing, to protect them, and to uh, maximize the yield as you go along? Most people don't prune their vegetable plants, but we teach you to prune, keep the leaves off the ground so that the bugs doesn't, don't get to them as readily, keep them pruned so that they don't shade or crowd their neighbors, and then vertical growing is a whole other subject where we grow plants vertically where they maximize their light, minimize the space requirements, and of course, obviously, greatly improve and, and magnify the yield. Uh, I, I actually figure I can grow five times as many tomatoes in the same space by growing them vertically rather than by letting them 
sprawl on the ground. Okay, so we'll call this 101 and I'm gonna have you back for 102. Okay. How does that sound? <laughs> That's great, love it. Thank you. Thank you. So good to see you again, Betsy. I look forward to working with you. I'm going to go ahead and get this information out since it's timely, like you said. Appreciate that very much. And I'm going to go back out to my greenhouse where I have several hundred plants growing. Awesome. Okay, we'll take the meet again, Jim. Thank you. Okay. okay. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Freedom Junkie Radio. The best way for you to support the show right now is to spread the word. Follow Freedom Junkie Radio on Telegram, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, BitChute, or Rumble. Then forward my posts to your friends and groups. Subscribe to the podcast and get the word out. Freedom Junkie Radio is about you. It's about bringing you free speech and voices for freedom. Thank you for being part of it. There'd be no point in doing it without you.